Hi and welcome to the Good Leaf Podcast. It is our first episode of something that is completely new to myself. I've actually never done a podcast before. However, I'm really, really looking forward to it. I um, love talking. I think I had. I grew up with a stutter. And I really struggled to get much out of my mouth. I struggled to put sentences together. I used to get made fun of quite a lot. And as soon as I overcame that, I haven't shut up since. And a lot of my work really requires me to do a lot of talking. And so a podcast such as this allows us to think of one of the greatest possible tools that comes in forms of different products stemming from a plant that can improve the quality of your life by improving the quality of oneself, your functionality as a human being. And that really is going to be what the podcast is going to be about. To start off with, I've managed to get in two fantastic guests who know a whole lot more about the plant than anyone I know out there and a whole lot more than myself. And this is what it's about. It's about learning. I I really want to put myself in the listener's feet and really want to find out a whole lot more about the industry of CBD as a whole. Joining me today in our first episode is Warren Shevitz. And uh, Warren is the CEO and founder of Goodleaf. Thank you so much for joining us. Maps, thanks a lot for uh, having me. Very excited to be here with you and share uh, my thoughts on the industry and uh, what's happening in the world of cannabis. Thank you very much, Warren. Looking forward to it. And we also have Tony Budden. And Tony, it really, really is great to have you in, in studio, um, especially with lots of things happening in your life right now. Uh, you are the co-founder of Hemporium. And um, it's, it's a pleasure to have someone as informed as you are, too, who's been fully immersed in the industry. Firstly, I'd love to just find out from the both of you, how are we feeling? How are we really feeling as, as individuals? Why? Today I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm pumped and amped in terms of uh, what we're doing and the team that we have around us. Um, I am experiencing a bit of physical pain. I injured my hand about six months ago. I've got quite a lot of nerve damage. And so that takes quite a lot of mental space mm. to manage but you know overall i'm feeling good today maps wonderful tony there's a little bit of a smirk on <laughs> on your face um, you almost seem like you don't know how to feel yeah, exactly there's exactly. a lot of excitement there yeah no so um i today is the due date of my first son oh, so i'm sitting here and <laughs> I've got the phone in front of me just on, on silent, but looking, you know, making sure that I don't get the call to race home. Um, but uh, you know, I'm starting this journey late, and I think my, my son's also going to be a bit late, like his father. So um, very, I would say, I'm optimistic and excited, but obviously a little bit nervous. Mm. Uh, like uh, we, we're going for a natural home birth, um, that brings a whole lot more responsibility to the parents to create a, a safe um, environment and framework around you know the, this this journey and you 're not just handing your power over to the doctors and the hospitals and, and you kind of um, are passengers on that journey. We are very much you know driving the ship 
Yeah, so I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, starting off with you, tell us about Emporium and exactly what that entails. Thanks, Matt. So, sure, it's a long story. Um, so I'm going to try to keep it as brief as possible. But we started in 1996, which is our 25th year at the moment. And we basically started uh, when we were still students. We were given a piece of hemp fabric by a friend of ours' father who imported fabric at that time. And he said, look what the Chinese are doing with cannabis. And obviously being students in South Africa or in Cape Town specifically, we only knew of one form of, of cannabis at that stage, and that was generally smoke. Hmm. And it was the first time that I had held something that was it totally opened my mind just by touching and feeling it to so, show me that there was way more to this plant that, than I knew. And we decided to launch a company back then using this fabric to make clothing, accessories, bags and everything to educate people because um, my business partner, Duncan Parker, he was early on in the internet at that stage, 1996. There wasn't really an internet, it was like bulletin boards. But obviously cannabis conspiracies and everything had made its way on early. You know, a lot of the kind of tech geeks are into these, these kind of things. And we learned not only about hemp fabric, we learned about the food side, the omega fatty acids, the protein in the seeds, paper, hemp paper, the building materials, all of this. And we thought, look, this is a great opportunity for South Africa. And we found out that South Africa had started doing research back then already into hemp. Um, the Agricultural Research Council was doing research in Rustenburg. And we thought, okay, great, we'll start a company, we'll import for now, but within a few years we'll be able to buy from local farmers um, you know, the hemp fiber we need or the hemp seeds. And we gave ourselves the lofty goal of, of um, showcasing everything the plant can offer. And quickly that developed into, I think we developed about 2,500 products in the first 10 years. Just We had clothing, body care products, food products, um, building materials, paper, yarns, twine, everything. Um, spread ourselves very thin. But you know, we're very excited about everything. The more we learned about this plant, the more benefit we found, the more excited we got. And we held this vision of what it can do for South Africa. Um, the tragic part of the story is 25 years later, we're still importing, which we'll get to a little bit later, I'm yeah. sure. But uh, we've had a wonderful journey to build a business around education, um, around opening people's hearts and minds to this plant because the fastest way we've seen is by putting something tangible in their hands where they touch and feel it and go, okay, you know, this is also cannabis. It's not just this ethereal smoke that everyone's heard about that you can debate whether we should have the right to alter our minds or not for quite a while, but here is something tangible that you can touch and feel and go, this thing has value. And from that, the rest of the conversation becomes a lot easier. So Hemporium was both a, a company that produced products, or is, a, but also very much in advocacy and lobbying. I'm sure it's needed to come with a lot of patience as well. Oh, persistence and patience, and thankfully the plant also gives you some of those things. Mm, wonderful. So you obviously have a lot of great insights. And, um, you know, Warren, we're in South Africa's premier, premium CBD store, Goodleaf, uh, something that you're a part of. In fact, you're the founder of. Tell us about um, Goodleaf and very briefly its journey. Thanks, Maps. Um, you know, it, it's, it's been a very interesting journey. It's been a fairly short journey. We started the business in late 2018. Um, and actually, I lived in Canada for 12 winters 
you know, when you're South African, you live in Canada, you count every single one yeah. of those winters. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I've, I've always been entrepreneurial. I was involved in building a, a business in Canada. And uh, a f- good friend of mine was out here, um, you know, f- a few years ago, and kind of he, he was very involved um, on the investment side um, in the cannabis industry in Canada. And Canada, I guess, is the financial you know, home of cannabis, but, you know, Africa is, is the real home of cannabis. And um, he, you know, gave, gave me a lot of insight into what was happening there and the trends globally. And I thought, look, ultimately this is going to be a, a global phenomenon. And uh, what better place to, you know, start a cannabis business than, than Africa and South Africa. And um, we went to... California, we went to Toronto, we looked at some of the best brands in the world and, you know, we came back and I thought, you know, let's create something uniquely African, you know, that's got a, a story um, and we've got some of the best strains um, in the world here and we've got, you know, some of the best botanicals in the Western Cape. I mean, we, we live uh, in one of the six floral kingdoms of the world. So we put together, you know, a range of um, skincare uh, drops, um, beverages, um, and we call them atomizers or, or vapes, um, really centered around you know, CBD wellness um, and ensuring, obviously, that everything was compliant with legislation. Um, and you know, our mandate from the beginning was to create products um, that were beautiful physically when you, when you looked at the packaging and you looked at uh, the actual products, but in terms of what was inside the bot- bottle from uh, efficacy um, and, you know, um, scientific perspective really represented, you know, a very high quality standard. So Mm. we've come to market with uh, around 25 products that we've rolled out over the last two and a half years. Um, And we now, you know, in in major retailers in South Africa. So lots of positive um, steps, obviously, then in, in the industry. And I can see there's a great deal of growth there and I sense a great deal of positivity otherwise you know you both wouldn't have been as patient as you both have been and that obviously brings with it to that um, feeling of excitement for where the future may lead especially within the industry but that's all kind of the the business side of things I think we we really want to kind of be able to to connect all together and connect with um, everyone that's listening out there now everyone kind of listening has the the, the, the general feeling of, of what the mood is, is here. But on that word, with feeling as a whole, what have you found, uh, Warren, to like be that feeling that people are having around the plant, the role of the plant, the current perceptions of it, and the, the c- kind of legal confusions around it, especially in South Africa? You know, um, Maps, it's, it's a great question. And, you know, there's so much historical stigma with this plant, you know. We call it the devil's weed, you know. But if you look at it, like, the devil's actually in the detail, you know. And the, this plant is having uh, an amazing impact globally, you know. And I think people are starting to recognize that. Um, you know, e- even in terms of, if you look at the, the stats in the U.S., for example, I think there are 36 states that have legalized cannabis. And, you know, the opiate... Um, addiction numbers in those states have gone way down. The number of people being admitted to a hospital for, you know, opiate o- overdoses is down 25% in those states. So, you know, this, this is a plant that's really been kept in a, 
um, you know, in the dark, uh, for lack of a better word, for, you know, r- really, I guess, for its lifetime. Um, and it's, it's now getting a ton of scientific focus, um, and there's a lot of, you know, very smart people and a lot of money starting to kind of unlock um, the, the power of this plant. You know, you've got 113 cannabinoids in, in, in the plant, and we're starting to kind of understand, you know, the, the impact that, that this plant can have. And um, there, there's a lot of confusion, too, around CBD and THC, um, and, you know, part of... Uh, at Goodleaf, we, we try to take a, a role to really educate the consumers, you know, in terms of um, the fact that CBD won't make you high and, uh, you know, so, and, and ensuring that all of, none of our products contain THC um, and that there's a big difference between the two um, and there's a big difference in terms of, of application. Um, but already you're seeing, you know, um, drugs like Epidalex come into the market that are CBD products that are FDA approved, you know, and having a huge impact on, for example, epilepsy and, um, and the treatment of that. Um, and and these, are, um, these advances are happening very quickly. And, and globally, you're just seeing, you know, I think r- rapid adoption. I mean, Mexico legalized last week, New York State legalized last week. And this is being driven by data, you know, v- very smart people doing very comprehensive analysis and demonstrating that, in fact, you know, th- this plant has has a lot of power and and a lot to give the world i think one of the things we also have to acknowledge is you know how we got here and and the opportunities that we have obviously in business now um it's amazing to be here to have seen been part of this journey over the 25 years but also to know that it's been through a lot of hard work of, of activists, you know, like of, of people taking risks and people, you know, even now as we sit here and, and we have these opportunities, there's still people getting thrown in cages for working with this plant or using this plant. And, you know, that's been great sacrifice in order to, to get this, not the, only the knowledge out there, but to get these laws changed that enable us to operate. And that, that needs to always obviously be remembered and acknowledged and, and that um, we still need to keep educating you know, that the public and also the lawmakers around, you know, this isn't the devil's weed. You know, like, um, and that process is, is fairly, it's, there's a lot of stigma and a lot of what they call propaganda, you know, like... <laughs> people really are scared of this plant. You know, they really are. And even though, um, you know, like we're working with, uh, for lack of a better word, a, a more benign part of the plant here, you know, with CBD, people say, okay, it doesn't make you high. Um, or it's not psychoactive. It, it is actually psychoactive in some form because it changes the way you feel, you know, your mind, it might slow you down. It's not psychoactive like, or psychotropic like THE is. But there is some, some, you know, change in your mind, which means there is some psychoactivity. So there, there's that education that we're working with a certain part of the plant, but there's a lot of education that will still come to open up the rest of the plant and make sure that your people are free to work with it and that we are not only able to build a business around it, but also able to influence through education 
that um, the lawmakers to get to a point where you know, people are free to, to work with it, to use. Uh, I was part of the, the constitutional court challenge which has led to people being able to grow at home. But we, I really would just like to make that point you know, like that you know, it's time for these arrests to stop, especially in this country at this time. No one should be thrown in a cage for working with this plant or touching this plant. It's the worst thing we can do to someone in South Africa is give a criminal record. So there's still that whole aspect to, to touch on. But as I said, the process of education is what we're doing here. We're getting people into a beautiful store, getting them to touch and feel cannabis and, and get the benefits of it, open their mind to it. And, and I'll just give you one quick anecdote of my personal journey. My parents are very religious. They're, they're, um, they went through a process of you know, not understanding my journey and my choices 25 years ago, but about two years ago, I was invited to, by them to go present at their church of from the devil's weed to God's green gift, how cannabis oh, reclaimed wow. its place in the sun. And you know, that it's opening, the, the, the mm. minds are opening, the acceptance of it is opening, but there's mm. a constant responsibility that we all need to accept to, to keep that education going. To, to keep, um, and not only, as I said, our customers, that's awesome, but the, the lawmakers to keep uh, reinvesting in supporting you know, activists and um, education at that level as well. Because like, we're still working in a fraction of what this industry can be in this country. Because the reality is that CBD isn't that niche and scary anymore mm. at all. Um, you know, now more than ever, the category is. Uh, becoming more and more accessible and almost getting to that point where it might even be fully acceptable you know but how do we move from it being acceptable to something that is found as being necessary for your health and your emotional well-being and your and our quality of the improvements of, of, of our mm. quality of life I mean why is there so much of that um, reluctance from, from, from government, for example? You know, I think a lot, a lot of it is education. Um, and, you know, we, we, for example, are sponsoring a documentary that's going to be um, rolled out later this year um, on the history of cannabis in South Africa. Um, and to Tony's point, there's been a lot of injustice. You know, um, when you look at the opportunity, for example, in the Transcar, uh, you know, rural communities have been growing cannabis there for the last you know, 400 years. It's part of their DNA. You know, it, it, these laws came about, you know, after they, they, they'd been growing it. Um, and there weren't a lot of alternative crops. And, you know, there, there are a lot of men in those villages who've been pulled away from their families and haven't seen their kids grow up. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot of that stuff, I think, needs to be addressed because um, there is a huge opportunity um, in South Africa, mm -hmm. you know, a huge commercial opportunity. Um, and, but it's a complex... Um, industry and it's rapidly evolving and there's lots of stakeholders you mm. know you've got the Department of Trade and Industry you've got the Department of Agriculture you've got SAPRA um, and it requires a real coordinated um, you know effort and I think you know there needs to be a lot of engagement too with the private sector to say you know because the innovation in this industry is going to come from the private sector um, and but there needs to be you know changes in, in legislation that can enable the framework. We are all for le legislation. We, 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 we totally accept regulation, but mm. it needs to be forthcoming. And the government really, uh, up to this point, there hasn't been 
cohesive kind of framework to, to make mm -hmm. that happen. Um, because, you know, what frustrates me, like, uh, you know, as an as a, um, entrepreneur in South Africa is I just, the, the opportunity here for us is, is immense. I mean, we've had 10 years of, of state capture and we, you know, have just gone through COVID. Um, and th there's no bigger opportunity for the country, quite mm -hmm. frankly, um, as someone who's kind of immersed in the industry and, and understands what's, what's happening globally. You know, this has transformed economies, like, you know, countries like Uruguay, certainly Canada, um, you're now seeing rollout in the UK, um, and we're behind here, and we're so used to, you know, exporting um, some of our, our best people, you know, we, we, we're good at that, uh, whether it's Trevor Noah or Elon Musk, you know, but it's time to export products, and we've got everything here to do it. We've got amazing grow opportunities, we've got amazing genetics, We've got, you know, really good production facilities. So, you know, as a passionate South African, you know, as someone who lived overseas and came back here, um, we, we've got to figure out a way to, to unlock this green economy because yeah. we can talk all day long about, you know, it's worth $24 billion and this and that. And this report came out that says it's worth this much, but it's irrelevant unless there's the right framework to unlock that value and, and ensure responsibly that everybody, you know, in the value chain um, participates, you mm. know, in, in a fair way. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the latest data I saw out of the states, and it's not even nationally legalized there yet, but there are more jobs in cannabis than in mining in America. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's really gives you a little bit of insight into the opportunities here you know, where we can move to away from an extractive economy into a, a really renewable sustainable economy by you know growing a plant that can provide fiber can provide building materials can provide food can yeah. provide medicines um you know that that just would open up so many opportunities and stop again the cycle of, of arrests yeah. know, because that's still brutalizing our people. Um, yeah, so it's, it's really, as, as Warren said, the importance of regulation. We, we're not asking for special treatment. We were just asking to be treated the same. Yeah. So we, do, we know that if we're producing food products, they need to be food safe. If we're producing health supplements, they need to be you know, like produced in a qualified um, facility that's that's tested and and meets quality assurance all of that but um, you know we've got to make sure that that we build an industry that's sustainable but for that we need enabling regulations mm. and this is where the government has kind of stagnated we've 25 years into research into cannabis in the country and and we still don't have a framework and still right now the one law that stands is the main one is our drugs and drug trafficking act that still states Right yeah. now, cannabis, the whole plant, any product thereof, any portion thereof, is an undesirable dependence-producing substance. Hmm. That means well, my house, which is a hemp house, is illegal. You know, yeah. My surfboards are illegal. These, even these are CBD products. They are allowed under the Medicines Act, but the Police Act still states that, that any part of the plant is illegal. And, yeah, there's, there's a fascinating history to that because it actually has a little proviso cause, called cannabis whole plant any product thereof any portion thereof except jernabinol mm. you can go down a little wormhole there but <laughs> jernabinol was an extract of thc that was developed here in the past eight years and was sold for marinol which is a aids drug to give people appetite again you mm. know cannabis is known for giving people the munchies it was extracted from south african grown cannabis it was exported on mass to the states 
and never sold here. And at the same time as them, they put that in the Drugs Act. They put another law that said it's mandatory sentences for people who use cannabis in, in South Africa. In the, in the following two years, over 100,000 mostly black Af uh, Africans were arrested yes. for using cannabis and got jail sentences while they were making a fortune. And in 1995, they sold the rights to that Trinabinol offshore. Yeah. And that just gives you a level of how uh, insight into how complicated this is in South Africa, how many vested interests there are already. You know, it's a, they say 28 billion rand, and I think that is being conservative. Industry that exists here, someone's making a lot of money illicitly. Mm. Yeah, and, and who is? Who's, who stands to lose if we do legalize this completely? Yeah. And there's just so much to unpack there. And I mean, and I think of what you're saying around the, um, you know, the mm. criminalization of it for, for so long mm. and how many people ended up behind bars because of it. And the, the real conversation that's happening around the world right now, especially in the States, especially with 36 of those states legalizing it, are people saying, seeing a whole lot more legalizing of this and less releasing of the people who are still going to be behind bars for a long time because of it mm. or um, have been in uh, behind bars for it right now and it's really just always been a method of control of uh, certain demographics especially that of black people um, as well to be able to you know put those people in, uh, behind bars and criminalize um, something that may be seen as also a form of some sort of income as well um, and all sorts of other varying degrees as to as to why that was can uh, I blow your mind some, case. some more quickly yeah slip that in <laughs> so um, we were one of the first to I think if not the first to create a drug around cannabis in about 1870 way before America mm. before the UK and it was called the Cooley Act and it mm. was against the Indian indentured laborers bringing cannabis from India onto the sugar plantations where they were all being bought and then selling it to the black mine workers. And the cannabis that they bought was potent. I mean, the Indians revere cannabis. It's uh, the Lord Shiva reached into the cauldron and gave it as his gift to um, humanity. And this potent cannabis was not really seen before and created a little bit of what we, we would see as paranoia. So a lot of the mine workers who were smoking were not that keen to go down that deep, dark, scary hole anymore, especially for what they were, were getting paid. And this created a lot of trouble because it became an issue of, you know, this stuff is making you obstinate, it's making you aggressive, you don't want to work, you don't want to listen to, to control, you know, and the, we took it back then, it was still British colony, we took it to the League of Nations and asked to add it to the Opium Act because of this, because it was hard to control. But if I look back, I'm going, well, no, it actually made those guys think for the first time. It is damn dark and scary down that hole, and I shouldn't be going down there for what these guys are paying me. You know, that it made them more conscious and aware. And if you look at the stereotype of, of the cannabis user, the guys that's school who shouldn't really you know shouldn't have been smoking but they did they didn't want to wear their uniform they wanted to grow their hair long they wanted to be alternative they didn't listen to the teachers it has a nature of it around it to make people question you find a lot of you know, again a stereotype uh, of the stone age of conspiracy theorists and they question authority and to authority that is very dangerous to be questioned so much rather have us all drinking alcohol, you know, get drunk, go home, pass out, be at work on Monday morning than using something that is expanding your consciousness and awareness and asking these uncomfortable questions. Disobedience. Of authority. Yeah, yeah. Being, 
civil so the, the even if you look at the states it, it was again the war a whole war on drugs was amplified around Vietnam mm. where the hippies were like no longer wanting to go and fight you know questioning these orders of going to fight in Vietnam and using cannabis and that's where they came down extra hard and the whole war on drugs really took off where everyone who touched any of these plants was again put in a cage so yeah it's it's fascinating that it started here and we have an opportunity to end it here with our constitution you know yeah. with the rights that we've mm. won yeah. to use this plant in private spaces as adults but that needs to be expanded on because the way the judges did it in concord is they said you have to have a private space to grow in and you have to have a private space to use in you have to have no kids around and no other or not non-consenting adults now, if you look at our situation in this country, how many people have that? Mm. They live in a home where it's just consenting adults, no kids, and they have a garden that can be considered a private space to grow. It's very few people. Yeah. It cuts out the, all the township areas, you know, all the poor areas where you live maybe with grandparents or other families on the property. Only people who can really benefit from that are the one percenters who've got a nice big garden and a nice big lounge. So yeah. to get that right available to people we have to expand it to places where people can use with other adults um, places where they can legally buy so you know this again as i said the, the the cbd space is awesome because it allows us to show the model of what this plant can be used for and how we can present it in a way that is non-threatening at first but it's also a bit of a gateway into the larger conversation as well yeah. of the other opportunities for this plant when used responsibly and yeah. giving adults that responsibility. Why, sorry, sorry, Maps, just one thing. You know, you spoke about control, and I think it's very relevant here. You know, when you look at the war drugs in the U.S., you know, I think, you know, kicked off really by Nixon, the, the, yeah. the incarceration rates and people being locked up in prison, they've got the highest rates in the world, you know, and a big portion of those or African Americans, yeah. you know, and that, so they, led they, by they, Nixon's they, exactly, and 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 the impact, uh, you know, on on society is is massive, and you know what you're seeing now um, is a lot of amnesty, and I think like you know the Department of Justice here need to look very hard at that, um, and if we really want to you know transform, we, we can look to developed countries that are doing this. There is a framework; it's working, okay, and what's most interesting is like. The actual numbers that that come through, you know, the, the, the there's a lot of studies now being done around, um, you know, drug dependency and the fact that you know CBD um, really helps helps a lot to to get people off hard drugs. There's a lot of um, clinical data that's coming through, and this, the, you know, p p at the end of the day, you need to look at the the facts and and what this the impact this this is having kind of. On practically on society where it is opened up and it, it's overall positive and that doesn't mean that everything about the plant mm -hmm. is negative you know there's some stats coming through in the US in terms of you know um, driving under the influence of cannabis and the impact that that has of course. all of this stuff needs to be addressed but address it in a balanced way you know because it really you know isn't black and white yeah mm. so. which leads back to uh, regulation I mean you speak about your happy acceptance of regulation um, and that it's not something that you'd ever kind of fight against at all. Um, but let's, let's talk about that. How safe is it really? Because it's super easy to 
claim a certain number of benefits and a certain level of safety versus the actual benefits and the level of safety. Um, could you kind of unpack that? Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, we, we don't make any medical claims because uh, legally we can't, you know, but we let our customers do the talking and, you know, you, you go online, you can see the reviews around our products. Um, and, you know, we, we have, we've had um, phenomenal feedback in terms of the impact that our products have had on the quality of life and general well-being um, of, of our customers. But one of the, one of the challenges um, we, we, we have in South Africa is, you know, from a pure CBD perspective at this point, you know, the, the dosages is set at 20 milligrams per day. Um, and if you look globally, for example, the World Health Organization, you know, have, have stipulated that, you know, there are no adverse side effects from CBD and that you can tolerate, you know, up to 800 milligrams mm. of CBD a day. Uh, certainly, you know, countries like the UK, I think, are at 60 milligrams. Uh, Australia is at 70 milligrams. So uh, in time, I think all of that stuff kind of needs to be addressed. Um, and that's really and then, the effect of policy against the mm. usage of your products. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think it's really also an education, you know. Mm. Um, we've certainly sent SARPRA, the governing body, uh, a lot of clinical data, you know, ar around this topic of dosage um, to, to try and ensure that, you know, the optimal uh, responsible dosages are set. Um, and, you know, se separate to that, I think it's a quality, um, you know, question in that not all CBD oil is created equal. You know, everything, for example, we produce is done in a GMP-compliant facility, which is a farmer-grade facility. Uh, you know, we send everything for independent third-party testing. We ensure that there's zero THC in our products. They're pesticide-free, you know, they metals-free. So all of, this, all of this stuff obviously um, costs more money, but, you know, at least consumers know what they're putting in their, their bodies. Mm -hmm. And there's also the added benefit and thumbs up from from who too yes yes exactly from from uh, from the world health organization and uh, i think uh, you know that's that is that is the the nice the encouraging thing that's happening yeah. in cannabis even even in terms of uh, of the thc stuff that's coming through you know on the medical side and treat treatments uh, for, for for cancer and things like that and you know i spoke earlier about how you know we're sitting on this green revolution you know, just to, to give you some, some stats around, you know, just talk, talking about cancer, I mean, the, the uh, University of Free State did a recent study that analyzed 16 strains globally, you know, and two strains out of the Transcar, you know, they concluded have the highest anti-cancer um, agents, you know, in terms of, terms of treating us. So mm. it's like, and, and, and there's a ton of complexity because there are different types of cancers. I mean, we've tested a bunch of strains from uh, from from the Transcar as well. We sent them to our Canadian partners. I mean, they, they questioned the results. They can't be that. They can't be those levels of different, mm. you know, um, agents. And we we retested them and said actually they're correct. Mm. You know, so as a country, we're sitting on on amazing medical value, agriculture value, production value. You know, it's time to ignite this. It's time to actually stop talking about it. Stop, you know, talking about endless policy plans and documents and get departments to coordinate and work well together to ultimately like uplift the country and, and to put you know our products on shelves globally because you know we have all the ingredients mm. here and, and it's it really is a unique time and a unique opportunity. And I mean even just your company if you were able to source locally 
how many farmers you could be supporting, mm. you know, like how many your extraction businesses, that kind of thing, instead of having to import. And the same with, with Emporium and you know, many others. I also work with Highlands and Highlands is a great company, but has to operate in Lesotho because there's an enabling government there who wants businesses to thrive in the sector. They're not making it, you know, like so difficult that you basically have to have, you know, how many, you know, hundreds of millions to get into, to get to the levels that, that SARPA want you to get to, to be able to sell it as medicine. Yeah. And I mean, we even look at, at how we scheduled in this country, even though we've got an exemption for CBD on, a, on this, you know, low dose of, of sh to get to schedule zero, CBD is listed as Schedule 4, which is still a prescription drug. If you want to go above the 20 milligrams a dose, that still means you've got to go to your doctor to get a prescription. And there are only two products, uh, Epidiolex and Sativex, that can be brought in under Schedule 4. And they essentially would go between 10 and 30,000 rand a month, depending yeah. on what you're using them for. Yeah, so I mean, and it's, I mean you, you raised something there, Tony, that like I just scratched my head. You know, we... Uh, Euromonitor recently put out a report that said, you know, our company, um, by market share, and our brands have, have the biggest share of the CBD industry in South Africa. We have to source all of our raw materials. We buy them either from Colombia or the U.S. Mm. We, we legally can't buy them here. You know, mm. I mean, there's something wrong with that. You know, mm. I, would I would like nothing more than to be able to purchase them locally. You know, for, it just doesn't make any sense. It so we've got it. We've got to figure that out we've got to unlock that because at the end of the day unless that framework's there um, and i think i've mentioned the word framework about four times uh, today <laughs> but that really is what's needed you know we mm. uh, and 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 to give some thought to how to integrate that across the supply chain and you know there's a big pie here there's enough opportunity for everybody to win mm. for the country to win for rural communities to participate. It just needs to be done in a cohesive, thoughtful way. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but that almost makes absolutely no logical sense whatsoever. The fact that you can import and purchase those raw materials, but not kind of uh, purchase them locally. Well, you, you um, could but, now, they are giving licenses, but like it's a medical grade, pharmaceutical grade license, which means that the product that comes out is way more expensive than it should be if it mm. was grown agriculturally. Yeah. So still right now, um, if you want to grow even for CBD, you need this your Section 22C, I think it is, yeah. the license. Um, and that's very expensive to get your security levels. You know, even if you're only growing CBD varieties, it needs to be like on-site security cameras, high fences, everything like that. Uh, inspections from, from SAPRA, from the regulator. And the only way you make that kind of work, pay for that, is if you do your kind of climate control greenhouses. So then your cost of growing it, you're not getting any benefit of growing it in Africa because it's all, you know, all your equipment is imported, your, your, your greenhouses, your yeah. lights, your nutrients. Our benefit of Afri in Africa is the great sunshine we've got, the great land we've got, and the people who've been growing it for generations who know how to grow this plant better than pretty much anyone, you know, the traditional growers. And we can't use that yet, you know, so we would probably yeah. end up paying more under the current model for CBD than we would if we bring it in from Canada yeah. where you can grow it outdoors, even though they've only got four months of, of you know, when they're not under ice a year yeah, to do yeah. it. You, you know, but you raise that point. We, we actually, you know, hold a Section 22 grow license and we haven't developed it because, you know, how can you put 100 million rand into a facility if there's no framework to ultimately distribute mm. that product, you mm. know, in, in, in terms of regulation. And, you know, um, 
So, so look, a, a lot has to change, but I do believe, you know, that there, there's a lot of focus in this area, and I just hope that, you know, um, as participants in the industry at the front of front line of it, that it's that 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 they engage. Um, all participants to do this responsibly because mm. there's, there's just a huge opportunity. There must be a lot more stakeholder you know, engagement from the government. I was part of a cannabis master plan that they are working on, their, their first public stakeholder meeting, I think it was last week. But they've written most of the master plan already without engaging you know, the, the industry and the stakeholders. Now they engage and that's kind of typical government behavior. They do most of the work. They do a little bit of you know, public participation at the end, but they're not going to rewrite the thing if we told them that they haven't done a good job. They might mm. alter a few things here or there, but they have to accept that there are experts in the sector in this country. There are people who, you know, like we've got 25 years of experience. You've got a lot of experience here in just in the last couple of years, you know, that, that we're offering assistance to the government and saying, like, let's work together. Yeah. You've got um, a lot of civil society. You've got Fields of Green for All, you know, that came out of the duck a couple um, and you know, you know, you've you've got tons of experience. You know, you've got communities have been growing cannabis as part mm-hmm. of their really culture for for, for mm-hmm. three four hundred years. And the thing about doing something for three four hundred years, you get pretty darn good at it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like we visited some of these communities, we'd love to engage them and work with them. You know, there's there's just amazing skills there that you could harness, but there's no framework to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, let's talk about why I'd want to even be a consumer of, of these products. I'm sitting at home and I'm listening to this and I've been fascinated by it, but I've never really taken the step into, you know, utilizing the products. I hear a lot about uh, emotional well-being mm. and the shift to emotional well-being that has come with CBD. I mean, the difference between emotional well-being versus mental well-being, how CBD can enhance that, how it can improve um, my quality of life. Could you kind of go into that a little bit? Yeah, sure, Maps. I think, you know, we're not involved in the mental health space in the sense that that is, you know, re- really, it's, it's a complex, very complex field, you know, and uh, requires diagnosis and, and uh, certainly kind of out of the realm that we operate. I can speak to kind of the wellness space or the emotional well-being space. Um, and, you know, I guess one of our our mandates, you know, know, internally and externally is is cultivating, you know, emotional well-being. And, you know, part of that, I think, is giving yourself the space and the tools to, um, you know, perhaps slow down and really internalize some of the stress that we carry and, you know, the stuff that we all live with. And, you know, everybody's got something, you know, and part of it is finding some sort of a ritual or habit, you know, mm. that, that can help, um, I guess, find that equilibrium that we're all looking for. Um, so, you know, whether that's your running or your swimming or whatever works for you, that's great. But we, you know, in addition, we, we have developed a range of products that we, we uh, certainly don't make any claims around, but we have our customers kind of have told us um, are very effective in terms of restoring that balance. Um, You know, whether it be for helping people sleep, uh, and anti-inflammatory for pain management, um, and general kind of anxiety levels. You know, CBD has been found um, to be very effective for that. Um, And I think, like anything, um, you know, you need to build it into your 
um, you, you really your, your ritual of well-being to kind of, you know, help restore yourself. Mm. Um, I was reading something very interesting on, on vacation this week, on holiday, that basically spoke about you know, the difference between rest and... Um, and uh, relaxation. Re- re- relaxation and you know and you you know you can relax on holiday and you can come back and you feel chilled for a few days but then we all know the stresses kick in and you need something that actually restores you daily so you need mm. to find something that you can tap into that really you know um, ultimately just helps you find your balance mm. Tony so my understanding of, of emotional well-being is our emotions are not purely mental, There's, a lot of them are connected to physical as well. We store a lot of our emotions physically and, and you'll see people who in deep trauma often have things like lower back pain or you know, they're, they're very tense, you can feel, see people whose shoulders are tense, their muscles are tense. Emotions are felt physically. You know, when you've got heartache, you feel it in your body. When you, um, you're elated, you've got the sense of energy and joy and so the endocannabinoid system, which CBD stimulates, is a system that we've only recently discovered. You know, the CBD researchers have, have found, and it is a system that governs your sleep, your appetite, your um, your mood, your reproductive system, even um, uh, your immune system, is governed by this endocannabinoid system. And endocannabinoids are. Um, there are substances or molecules that our body makes that are almost exactly the same as cannabinoids. You know, uh, anandamide is very close to THC, and CBD mimics or stimulates the system. So if you're sleeping better, you're eating better, you've got less inflammation, um, less stress, um, you know, your, your reproductive system is, is you know, better, you've got more libido, you're feeling better, more energized. Your emotional well-being will be affected by that because you're sorting out the physical side. You're allowing yourself to release some of that stress, some of that anxiety, that anguish, and that enables you to feel better. So one of the ways that I've I've really seen cannabis change the way we look at this is it's not doing the work. It is enabling us to do our own work to help heal our bodies. So even if you look at you get a lot of people go, well, how do you say that it helps with autism and Alzheimer's and epilepsy and pain and even cancer and everything? One plant that does all of this. And one of the things that, that cannabis stimulates and, and THE and, and CBD is what's called the postsynaptic feedback system. So it helps your brain get better messages back from the body. So as we get older, obviously our, our brain sends messages down to our body very well, but sometimes those messages don't get back as well. So that's where you get things like Parkinson's come in, um, you know, tremors, shakes, all of that. And if your brain is getting better messages back from your body, it will in, uh, enable its own healing. Mm. So we've all got dopamine, your endorphins, all your own hormones that are very similar to some of the medicines that we take, but they're superior. But often in, in modern medicine, you look at the, one of the first things you go when you've got a problem to the doctor. What's one of the first things they prescribe? It's a painkiller. Mm-hmm. Uh, like any pain, anything you've got, let's kill it. Now, pain is there as a marker that there's a problem. You know, there's something, me- you need your brain to know there's a problem for healing to be activated. And cannabis is working in the opposite way. It's allowing those messages to get through better so you enable your own healing. Mm. It's not necessarily the THE going to do this job or the CBD going to do this job. 
it's how it enables your whole system to run properly and to get to that homeostasis that, that we all seek, where everything is balanced, you're present, you feel okay. And that's not almost, especially with CBD, like THC is a very yang experience, you'll feel it, you'll know, I'm high. CBD people come in and, and, and they'll try the products at first and they go like, mm. they're expecting a yang, you know, but it's not, it's yin, it's the support, it's mm. the... It's something that will build up over time, you know, take it over a month. And, and I've seen it myself in people who, you know, they'll maybe try CBD once or twice and say it's not really working. I say, well, you've got the bottle. Why don't you use it for a month? And then they come back after the month and they go, I see it was working because I ran out and, you know, I'm not sleeping as well as I've been over the last few weeks or my pain has returned or yeah. that kind of thing. So it's something that is working on a more subtle level and it's a support system for us to lead a well-balanced, more natural, more in touch, uh, in tune life. Mm. Um, and I think that's very valuable. And I think without dealing with those physical ailments, you know, the, I saw <laughs> a horrible meme because it made so much sense to me. It was like, <laughs> I'm getting to the age where I don't know if I've done myself an injury or that's just how I am now. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, is this going to stick around? But you yeah. know, like often there are things that we can supplement with. There are yeah. things that we can assist our body with to deal with these ailments that will help us to lead um, a more happy, healthy lifestyle. You know, one of the things, as you're talking, Tony, which, which I discovered in my journey of, you know, studying CBD and, and THC is, is our bodies, we're actually born with the endocannabinoid system. Mm -hmm. You know, we have these receptors that we historically used to get that through our diet, yeah. you know. Um, and then, you know, cannabis was outlawed. It became, you know, an, an evil and it was just kind of removed. And your body actually needs it. Like, it, it's... It's it in breast craving milk. It. It's, it's part Endocannabinoids of, yeah. are in breast milk. Yeah. yeah like, it's mm. from the beginning. We wow. so, yeah. so, you know, at the end of the day, like, if, if, you, if, you just, if you're eradicating this plant, you, you, you're killing nature. Yeah. You know, you're suffocating nature. It's, mm. it's part of who we are. Well, I think also that's also, uh, if you look on the, the macro level, where they fought so hard to get rid of this plant. You know, they've arrested people who work with it. They've burnt it everywhere it grows. They've sprayed it with poisons. You know, like... They've tried so hard, and it's popping up in places they never expected. Mm. You know, popping up in, in medicines, in houses, in hemp plastics, and everywhere. And you can't fight nature. Yeah, you know, like nature will win. And I think it's been a companion plant. If you look at the history of, of cannabis and how it was spread by humans, you know, you find it everywhere from Norway to New Zealand and everywhere between. And we took it there. Mm. It didn't go on the wind or in birds or you know, like floating on the ocean. It went with human. It is a companion plant for us. And, um, you know, the word hemp, the Afrikaans word for shirt, yeah. you know, like they used to wear hemp, especially when they went to see, you know, the Dutch sailors. It's, you know, the thing that it's, was the sails. The word canvas comes from the word cannabis. You know, that the cannabis used to make the sails that allowed you know, exploration. Mm. Um, the ropes were all made out of hemp. And this long history of, of this companion plant that was then taken away from us over the last century and has led to deficiencies. There's something called uh, the ECD, endocannabinoid deficiency, EC, sorry, EDS, endocannabinoid deficiency, deficiency syndrome, that if we, you're not producing enough ourselves and we're not getting it in our diet, that you can be deficient and your whole um, system, your endocannabinoid system is at risk and that then affects mood, sleep, yeah. all of those things. There's, there's, there's so much more I know you want to go into. <laughs> 
Warren, I know there's a lot that we could go into as well. I know that we could speak about this for endless amounts, but unfortunately we've always only got a little bit of time um, or a short amount of time. And I feel like we should be doing part one, part two, part three of this as we're exploring the, the start of this. And maybe we'll be able to have this conversation in um, episodes to come. But we've spoken about it quite considerably at length. I think a lot of people at home now will have a clearer idea of exactly um, you know, that world of CBD um, as a whole, at least um, at the very least on the surface level, even though we've gone in um, quite nice and deep. You've both touched on the past and the present of, of uh, both of your businesses, of Emporium, of, of Goodleaf. In sum, very quickly, with the optimism that you've actually shown, with a good balance as well of the frustration of the past, um, what do you think is, uh, you know, in, in a couple sentences really, does the future look like for both of your, your ventures within the context of the industry? So I'd really like to see, as I said, the, the, something fairly simple, that we have you know, cultivation happening in South Africa and processing because someone needs to turn, take it from the plant into these various products, but that's where the job creation comes in factories that are making, you're doing extraction for CBD and, and even you know, for THE products, um, processing for hemp textiles, for the building, building industry, but to happen locally. You know, like we have also the opportunity then to build a regional market that is not in a niche. You know, at the moment, we are existing in this, this space where our products are expensive because we have to import. But ultimately, if we were producing locally, we can afford to drop the price, have a much wider reach, not just speak to the niche of people who really are eco and health conscious, and then have a, a, a much um, greater impact. And, and I'll just speak very quickly on one of the projects that means a lot to me. We built a hemp soup, soup kitchen in Kailitsha, a hempcrete building where people come and get soup every every. Yeah. Um, every day, basically, about 250 people that this Ma Mama Mickey, uh, she's this angel, um, produces for them. But I also gave them hemp seed oil and CBD. And she gives it to people who've got HIV and, and, and TB. And the response is incredible. They call it the miracle oil. Hmm. Um, you know, just because, especially if you look on the nutrition side, there are no omega fatty acids in the, in the township diet. There's no raw nuts, raw seeds, raw oils. Yeah, so that's where the work will have the most impact when we can get it down to a price point where way more people can afford to take it and they will take it every month. You know, it's not something that they'll try once or twice and then they can't really justify spending you know, a grand a month or whatever. Um, that's, I think, for me, the vision that I, I hold where we'll see a great impact. I mean, not to say that wealthy people can't get benefit too, but I think you know, like we all have access to a lot of, of good nutrients already in our diets. We all eat well, we have good oils, we have you know, opportunities, but there are plenty of people who can really be positively impacted by this plant. And for that to happen, we need a local industry. So that's the uh, future is green. Great. Um, yeah, maps, you know, from, from our side, um, you know, the history of, of Africa is we export our raw materials. And similar to um, Tony, I'd just love to see us... You, producing you know quality product here we've got you know some of the most creative inspiring talent you know in south africa uh, we've, we've got amazing farmers we've got fantastic facilities and technical skills um, we've got rural growers we've got 
400 years of depth and experience. And uh, I'd, I'd just like, um, you know, to see the, this plant be maybe a force for some good and some change in the mm -hmm. country, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and, and I really believe if we do it responsibly and carefully, we can, we, we can show the world, you know, what South Africa is capable of. Um, because th there could never be an industry that has more um, positive factors stacked up against it. You know, we, we, the third world here can compete and win with the first world, and we should. Yeah. Tony Budden and Warren Skeritz, thank you so much for um, joining me on the first episode of the Good Leaf Podcast. It's been a wonderful conversation and uh, hopefully the first of many. Thank you to everyone at home or wherever you are listening to this podcast for listening. And we, or I hope, to be able to, to bring you a whole lot more great conversations around uh, the industry and, of course, CBD as a whole and uh, everything around the plant and just how, how, um, how expansive that world is and what your role can be within that and how it can enhance your life. Uh, look forward to getting some questions from you if you have any, com any, any questions that you have from our conversation, any conversation you want to ask, um, please ensure that you, that you do so. Tell everyone about the podcast. Let's keep the conversation going and um, if we can, let's keep this plant growing.